Hello, and thank you for joining us on Giving Voice to Depression. I'm Bridget. And I'm Terry. More than 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression, but you do not have to have it yourself to be affected by it. Its prevalence pretty much guarantees that someone you care about battles its darkness. This podcast tries to shine some light into that darkness. We're not experts and we're not therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and who are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness. Hi, Terry. Welcome to season three. Hello, Bridget. Welcome back. And thank you, everyone else, for joining us on our new season as we grow and learn. And our community is now almost 2,300 people on Facebook. And it's just exciting. We're all in this together. And it's really beautiful to watch this kind of evolve and become something bigger and bigger as the days go on. Stronger together. Stronger together. We are delighted to announce that we've received our first grant. Whoop, and it's whoop. from the Milwaukee, yeah, it's from the Milwaukee, Wisconsin-based Charles E. Kubley Foundation. And they will be funding this season's episodes. And that allows us to continue to explore and learn together. Proud to be connected. Mm-hmm. We ended season two with four suicide prevention episodes, emphasizing the need to prepare for and be willing to have difficult and potentially life-saving conversations with someone who's suicidal. You're about to hear a first-person account of such an encounter. Johnny, a 20-year-old in the UK, had gone to a bridge to end his life. Neil, a young man with no mental health training but a big heart, saw him and stopped. We're lucky enough to have talked to both. We begin with Neil, the stranger on the bridge. The day was, it was horrible. It was cold. It was freezing cold. You know, in in London, January is our winter time. So middle of winter, about nine o'clock in the morning, just after the rush hour, Monday morning, 14th of January, and it's it's raining. And uh, you come out of Waterloo um, train station and right in front of you, is this huge bridge into uh, into the centre of uh, London? So like where you have like Leicester Square, Covent Garden, Piccadilly Circus, and all the tourist area like that. At any time of day, you know, so much traffic going over this bridge. You can see like a hundred people in your periphery. There's the buses, the the cyclists, the pedestrians, the taxis, everything. And now Johnny. I went to that bridge and I built up the kind of I built up the. Um, the 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 I don't want to say courage, but you know what I mean. Right. I built up the courage to go and do it, and I, you know, nothing was going to stop me. Uh, so coming out onto this, uh, out of the train station, onto the bridge, and there's this guy sitting on the side of Waterloo Bridge. I, you know, I wasn't in my, I wasn't in my right mind. So I I left the hospital in jeans and a t-shirt, and I was I was absolutely freezing on that on that cold bridge. And on the bridge, there's these railings, uh, these like white railings, and he's sitting like on top of the railings with his feet over the side facing the water. You know, huge drop below. Uh, not far from actually where I am sitting right now. So I've just been diagnosed with, um, with schizoaffective disorder, which is like schizophrenia and bipolar. And um, I think it was getting that diagnosis. That was it for me. I just, uh, I just gave up pretty much. I just thought my life's over, you know, I'm not going to be able to... All the things that I wanted to do in life, all the hopes and the dreams that I had just suddenly... I just literally 
just came to nothing. I just thought I'm never going to get better. I was really unwell, and I just thought the best thing to do was, you know, not just for me but for my family. I thought the best thing to do is uh, just not be here anymore. And um, so I went to this bridge, and lots of people walked by, like so many people, and they looked, you know, and they looked, and then they just kind of carried on. And I thought, oh, I can't do that. So I walked over and I said, you know, hi, uh, how are you doing? Why are you sitting on the bridge? And, yeah, that's when he told me that he was going to kill himself. I remember at first, um, I remember at first when the stranger came up to me, I was just like, just go away, you know, just go away. Just leave me alone. There's nothing you can say. You know, I've made my decision and... I don't need you. I don't. No one's. No one can change my mind. Like I was. It was like my only way out. My only. My only exit was 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 to do this. And no one. No one was going to convince me otherwise. At first, he didn't really want me there, but then he did. You know, he he started to open up to me and tell me like you know that he was uh, he'd run away from a hospital. Um, he was in a psychiatric hospital and uh, he couldn't take it there anymore. The whole time I'm thinking, you know, maybe we can come to a decision together. Maybe I can persuade him to use my phone to call his family or something, okay? Because what I didn't want to do was just kind of <clears throat> give him ideas or suggestions or grab him off the bridge or, you know, I wanted to just remain calm and just try and come to a decision together. So that seemed like the best option. I don't know. There was something different about this guy because he just, uh, I don't know, he just listened in a way I hadn't been listened to before. Hmm. He said two things to me that really stuck out. And the first thing he said to me was, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. That's what huh. he said. He said, no no reason to be embarrassed or ashamed. Wow. And I've never heard anyone say that before. I, because, you know, the main reason that I, I got to that stage, because I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed about all the things that were happening in my head. Hmm. You know, I was hearing a voice. I was delusional. And i was embarrassed that i was in a hospital i i was struggling with my sexuality as well and i again i was <laughs> i come from a jewish family and really embarrassed really embarrassed about that the embarrassment the shame the that was that was the big that was the biggest thing for me um and that's why i wanted to end my life so for someone just to just to say to me you know it's fine what you, this this embarrassment is fine i just i just right. hadn't heard anyone say anything like that right. before and it was so powerful. It was so powerful. And that, yeah, and it made me talk. One thing I could tell, like, he he wasn't there for anybody's attention, you know. He was he was in his own world, you know. The second key thing he said to me, which, again, no one, no one had said to me before, was, um, I think you'll be all right, you know. I think you're going to get better. Mm. And, you know, again, no one had said that to me before. In the hospital where I was, uh, uh, the outlook wasn't the outlook wasn't particularly good. Mm -hmm. You know, I was pretty unwell. And but the, he was this complete stranger that you know gave you hope. Gave me hope. He didn't know anything about me, but he and he wasn't he wasn't a professional or whatever. But he believed. He believed. I thought he really believed that I would get better. And having that mm -hmm. faith, I don't know. Just no one had had that faith in me before. I didn't. I, I mean, I I didn't have that faith in myself. Hence why I was there. But he, he, he didn't. He believed in a way that, he, that, I, that I needed to hear, mm -hmm. you know? And that, that was the thing. That was the moment that I was just... I questioned what I was about to do, and I just, you know... Um, I don't know, yeah, he gave mm -hmm. me hope, and, and he said to me, let's go, let's go sit down, there's a coffee shop at the end of the bridge, and, you know, it's warm, and, you know, you can take a bit more time, tell me what's going on. And, 
and and so when he said you know let's go somewhere warm and let's go for a coffee and he kept suggesting it and eventually uh, you know I agreed I, I wanted to be somewhere warm and and safe and you know I felt like mm-hmm. I could trust mm-hmm. him now and so it seemed like the right thing to do and um so you came over the railing I came over the railings to the to the pavement and um when I got to the pavement um that's when everything kind of changed a police car came out of nowhere just came like screeching up beside us the door opened the police came out and then it was just back to square one again you know he was shocked just it was almost like everything the whole that whole conversation had just come to nothing because all that all that faith it had given me and that hope just suddenly went when when i saw them and i i ran back to go over the bridge that's when i grabbed him neil actually grabbed me the stranger grabbed me and and, and stopped me and uh, he held me in his arms and the police charged for me and they they put handcuffs on him they restrained him and they put him in the back of the police car so they did so they took him away and when the, when I did my statement with them and I told them everything I knew and then they said look please just go back to work so I, I kind of went back to work and all of a sudden that was it again I could kind of hear all the, the, the traffic and the noise again because when I was talking to him like it was almost mm-hmm. like it wasn't there you know I was so engaged in this conversation and then we were separated me and this this guy this back then this stranger was was separated and that was it and um which i felt really sad about because you know i built up this trust with him and mm-hmm. suddenly we, it was just that was broken and then i was kind of back with the authorities back with the professionals mm-hmm. and i just felt uh just felt uneasy again i'm just struck to my core by his words saying I was listened to in a way that I haven't ever been listened to before. Mm. That's just beautiful. And I mean, so here real. this stranger, you know, walks up without an education, without prior experience and is able to be present in the most potent, powerful way in the face of this crisis. It's right. just beautiful it's a it is an incredible story and i'm i mean it's it, we can say you know you can hear a lesson and you can you know feel it in your head and you can hear a lesson and you can feel it in your heart and then you hear this and you feel it in your gut you know it's a different level of understanding yeah yeah and and he also said that he believed in me in a way that i needed to hear mm-hmm. you know i mean how how who doesn't want to be believed and who can call that up within themselves in the face of crisis. I'm just so touched. And before we wrap up this episode, I just want to share one more little bit of the conversation I had with Johnny and it, because it's how we settled on the title for the episode. So as I think of this episode, I can't decide if it should be called The Power of Compassion or The Power of Giving a Damn. <laughs> Which do you think it is? Oh, wow. Um, I think, I think, you know what? I think it's compassion. I think compassion. Mm-hmm. I think compassion could go such a long way, honestly. I mean, we, we we can all give a damn about something. I mean, I think you know. I reckon some of those people that walked past me on the ridge gave 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 a damn. Right. But the, the, it's it's the compassion. It's the. You know, I've been in the in the mental health care system in the UK for well for for ten years now. I'm thirty now, and I've been in and out in and out of hospital and seen different psychiatrists and therapists, and mm-hmm. you know. I think they all give a damn, but it's the ones that have shown me the most compassion. You know, the 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 the, the nurses or the, the my psychiatrist or my therapist. Have, it's it's the compassion, it's the compassion and the empathy and the and I've, I keep saying it, but the patience as well. I think patience mm-hmm. is so important because it's so hard to talk. Um, 
we don't have to have been in that person's situation. Right. You know, he, Neil had a Neil hadn't been in my situation yet. He was still able to, to to show me compassion, and I think we can all do that, can't we? I think we can all. And Neil Neil calls it being an ally, which I really like. He calls it being an ally because it is. It's just being an ally and being there for someone, and really anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. You know. Hmm. Anyone can do that. And yet think how many people looked and passed by. Well, um, amazingly, this isn't the end of their story. In fact, it's just the beginning. And we'll continue on with their amazing connection in part two next week. I can hardly wait. We hope that our podcasts bring about a little more understanding or help people articulate their experience of depression a little more. And thanks to each and every person who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. And you can find our podcasts on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com, as well as on iTunes, where we hope you will subscribe, rate, and respectfully comment. And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.